Well, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. Yes, it's me again by birth, Alex William Smith, but better known to many of you as the British bad boy of hypnosis, Jonathan Royal of MagicalGuru.com. And I've got an absolutely unique and amazing guest this week. And please do bear with me very briefly because um, at immediate sight, you may not think, other than the fact that this gentleman has written what I would argue is certainly the most easy to read and entertaining historical account of the history of hypnotism, both entertainment and therapeutic wise, entitled Overpowered, The Science and Showbiz of Hypnosis, um, which was published after this gentleman was the first artist in residence at the British Library in London with his character, the singing hypnotist, who we'll obviously be talking about later. But also, he does so many other things, character comedy, uh, experiential performance art type um, things with the public. You can learn a lot of lessons from them as well. Uh, so look, the person who can explain it all a whole bunch better than me, the man himself, Christopher Green, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Nice to chat. Thanks for being here. Now, look, I know that obviously hypnosis related, you have a character, the singing hypnotist. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about how that particular character came about? Um, and obviously, probably within that, you're going to mention your other characters, because I imagine it was all part of the journey. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've been performing, I had been performing for for quite a while and was um, my work was sort of split between comedy and cabaret and theater those two things often the sort of intersection of the two and I was perhaps best known for two characters one Tina C a country music singer um, and um, Ida Barr who's an old lady who does hip-hop in a musical style um, and so there was that part of my work and then um, and then my sort of theatre work as, as well. Um, and I went off and kind of got excited about, about hypnosis for lots of reasons that I talk about in the book that we can talk about in a minute, if you like. And um, I had studied hypnosis for a while and then was thinking, well, obviously I should, I should use it in performance. And I started doing quite a traditional hypnosis act. You know, I studied it and then, and I did this sort of yeah quite quite cliched hypnotic character um and um and i performed it quite quite a bit and decided and and i really had to ask myself what what i didn't like about it and um uh and sort of put all of that into my what ended up being the singing hypnotist um also because when i was studying the, the history i just assumed that people had used sung inductions that because you know showbiz songs it's obvious mm -hmm. you know that somebody would use would do a, a, a sung hypnotic act and then i just never really found it and i was like oh there's a gap in the market i shall be the singing hypnotist did, did you not come across oh she's not no longer with us but the late pat collins yes i, I did but that um and but that's not what she did was not exactly what i was you mm. know Kind of expecting and I also thought that you know in the Victorian era people would do sort of like you know some some inductions and um yeah it's odd that they didn't because there were actually there were singing clairvoyants who used to apparently get a song from message and sing it and the, the people would be like oh yeah that was me and whoever's favorite songs yeah, was saying that I mean that's that uh, yeah you're right and that's thrilling so yeah why I don't know why that didn't happen so I sort of invented this kind of slightly Victorian um slightly contemporary singing hypnotist and um and it was very much um to try and do a stage hypnotist routine but it, it with a different energy and a different a different style basically okay, so here's the interesting one people are going to shoot me watching this yes i hold my hands up for 30 years now i've made a large proportion of my living as a comedy stage hypnotist, whereas on the other side, I do the therapy and training and stuff. But yes, I have done 30 odd years of comedy stage hypnosis, but I still stand by what I'm about to say in the context of this question. And in general, even though I go out there and therefore hypocritically take money off people to provide them with that which is advertised, I still genuinely believe, and this is leading to a question, Christopher, that stage hypnosis shows, in general, are complete and utter shite. Mm -hmm. 
Um, th th there's not really been an original idea in comedy stage hypnosis, except few and far between. Um, and then that leads to a whole bunch of bitchy arguments between stage hypnotists. I, I devised that, I devised that. And then you go and see that it was published in uh, Stage Hypnosis by Professor Leonardo in the early, you know, 1900s before they were ever born. Stage hypnosis, I find, generally speaking, to watch, mind-numbingly boring <laughs> because it's just a bunch of attention-seeking idiots with an excuse to make an idiot of themselves on stage, is my opinion. Right. So I love the fact that you did and have done something different with it. What's your view... Um, on, on in general i would i'm not going to be drawn into that to that whole debate but i would say that for me for me i also didn't find it very interesting and that's when i started doing you know the, the kind of more traditional um stage hypnosis act i didn't really find that very satisfying um and that's why i invented the the the, the singing hypnotist and it's a show that i really love i'm not doing it at, at the moment just because i'm busy doing lots of other stuff but i really love that show and i will go back to it and i think the interesting thing is that the um the audience take a while to adjust because because those tropes of stage hypnotism are so strong that they they're a bit like oh so you're not gonna oh, so you're not going to do that. You're not going to be really high status and you're not going to sort of like be really cocky and, you know, a bit cheeky and a bit, you know, all those kind of, you know, the, the showbiz cliches. Um, and the, the singing hypnotist is very gentle and very thoughtful and very reflective and um, gives away, the key thing about it gives away his power really quickly. So he comes out and says, I am the stage hypnotist, I have the power, um, give give me your trust and I will give you, you know, the secrets and da, 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 da. And then really quickly he just gives it away and says, actually, I don't do it, you do it. You, it all happens in your head. So obviously that all comes from, um, as, as you know, as a lot of people watching this know, comes from um, the therapeutic side of hypnosis, which is, you know, people can give you um, uh, invitations and um, uh, inductions and, and whatever, but, but, but ultimately it's what you're doing in your own head that yeah. that's where the power resides. And so I just love that idea of kind of, of just immediately giving that away and saying, you are the, the, the hypnotist, you how, are the... How did you find that affected from going, doing this sort of more authoritarian, cliche stage hypnotist to doing that? Did you find there was an effect in terms of it making it more difficult for the whole induction credibility stuff? Yeah, it's more, it's more difficult. Uh, it's much more interesting for me. Um, I think I am naturally... Um, I'm not interested in being high status on stage. I can invent characters that are, but I think much richer things happen when you um, when you play with that and give away your power. Um, yeah, the inductions is, is a bit more complicated, but then it's a bit more complicated anyway because you're singing it all. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so it's it it's uh, yeah, but it, it, you have to play with it a, a lot more. Uh, but yeah, I'm really proud of, of that. There was so the actual kind of that moment, that sort of that traditional kind of hypnotic induction thing doesn't start until like 20 minutes in um, and then is all sung through. So it is, it, you know, it's much more of a theatre show, uh, but it but it works and you get you still get that thing of people going, I can't release my hands, you know, all the all those things, you know. And Can I ask you then, did you did you apply for a licence every time you were performing under the 52 Act or did you or was it classified as exempt? Because arguably, given that it's a character comedy persona and your history of doing those, it could quite legitimately be argued, couldn't it, under the Theatres Act that it would have the exemption? Yes. So what I so what I did was I was I, I never said I, I, I would play with that. So I would say under the 1952 state of no uh, I'm not allowed to do this. So we're not going to do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sing you a song. Nice. Um, so so I was very aware of it. And so just rewinding a bit to the when I was at the British Library, when I was doing my residency, we got into a whole to do a hoo-ha about about that because obviously you know it's a big academic institution and um 
uh, and yeah, we really had to kind of look into it, and uh, and and then I was like, hang on a minute, and so I took, I got advice from several people, and they were like, no, what you're doing is not is not stage hypnosis per per se, not according to the to the to the definition of uh, of the act. So, yeah, that that uh, yeah, that was a big part of the creation of it. Excellent. Now, for people who don't know who are watching, let me tell you, firstly, underneath this video, when it goes out, will be a link to Christopher's website. And I suggest that you go and have a look. There are videos of him performing as the singing hypnotist and many of his other characters. And in, and in that relation, we're going to talk about the singing hypnotist a bit more as well. But I just want you to understand a little bit more where Christopher's coming from. You mentioned one of his characters, Tina C. Um comedy country and western singer and in that relation just listen to these two quotes tina c is one of my favorite performers she's witty often outrageous and always in tune i can't wait to see what um christopher green comes up with next sir ian mckellen yes as in the world famous actor and another one, Christopher Green's Tina C is one of the great comic creations of the age. A genuinely fine country singer, but with a twist of satire and insight, um, which is rare and to be highly prized. Stephen Fry. Yes, Stephen Fry of QI and Harry Potter films and stuff. That's Stephen Fry. High praise indeed. Um, so, I mean, and they'll see when they look at your website, your background heavily is in... I, well, I don't want to say character acting or character comedy. It's, there's a where would you put it? It's kind of a fine line. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked on the cabaret comedy circuit, but also on the theatre circuit. So it's sort of, you know, I, it's somewhere in the middle of all of that. And I think after um, however long I've been performing for, I kind of now worry a lot less about genre and where I fit into it, and I feel a lot more confident in. That, that there is a unified uh, theme to my work. And uh, I I think now it's becoming clear to myself and to everyone else what that is. And uh, so now I don't, I don't really worry. <laughs> I think, you know, I do, I do what I do and it, people. So what would you, what would you say that sort of centralized theme is? I've got a pretty good idea, but in your words. It's about the audience and um, I'm, I'm my new book, which I'm writing at the moment is about the audience and about um, whenever we do anything as um, as theatre makers, as, as comedians, as cabaret performers, as, as stage hypnotists, as um, singers in pubs, you know, every every time we put together a turn whether it's you know Shakespeare or or, or 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 the splits whenever we do that we 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 make assumptions about the audience and I think so I'm uh I'm writing about you know the questions we should really be asking ourselves about the audience and I think all of my work is about the audience and is about trying to get the audience often to rebel <laughs> and to to say no and Tina C was many things, but but she was a, a, a monstrous uh, person in many ways. And often it was about telling I was just dying for the audience to say no to her. She's like a really high status American who's like just coming in and saying, you know, I'm going to tell you what to think because I know because I'm rich and you're not. So I must know more than you. Right. Um, and I was just longing for the audience to like go shut up. And they very rarely did. They just would fall in love with her and go, oh, she's great. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I say all of my work is unified about around getting a response from an audience, um, which should probably be what most people say, most performers would say, but maybe they wouldn't. You've mentioned the website and this, oh, flipping heck, I, I can imagine this would be either amazing or potentially disastrous <laughs> yes or, or mix of both which i suppose is the same with anything where where there's interaction but a pro one of your performance art projects called the home mm -hmm. encouraging people as i read it to spend three days in a care home please tell me more about that because that sounds like uh, that could be a very profound uh psychological experience for the participants um it could arguably be therapeutic and life changing and give them a kick up the ass to make the best of life. Yeah, it's 
Uh, yeah, so that's a project that I did at the um, tail end of, well, last summer onwards. And I've just been in Japan for three weeks because we are uh, producing it over there, um, doing a Japanese version of it for the Olympics, part of the Cultural Olympiad. So this, um, yeah, is 48 hours long, create a fictional care home and the audience come and live there for three days and everything is provided, all your food, your care, your entertainment, everything. And yeah, it's hardcore immersive theatre. Um, so this is why I've kind of not doing a lot of my solo performance because I'm concentrating on, on these big projects now, which is where my heart really lies. With, and I'm lucky enough to be able to get to make them. And yeah, so it's, it is a big ask for an audience. Um, and I think that's summed up by the fact that, uh, that when the experience finishes, the first thing that happens is that they have the group, the core group, have an hour with a psychiatrist. They have an hour's group therapy okay. <laughs> to talk about what's happened and to deal with the issues. So, you know, I take safeguarding very, very um, seriously. And I think the, the, the hypnotherapy training that I did um, really has influenced my theatre work a lot. You know, that, that sense of safeguarding, yeah. that sense of supervision, that sense of how do you look after, how do therapists look after themselves? How do, you know, how, to, how do they check in that they're, that they're bringing benefit and, no, and not any harm? You know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so the home is a massive piece of work and very much about getting the audience to respond and to rebel and to take control and get the care that they need okay so yeah in a metaphoric kind of way i guess you mean do you think it like draws their attention towards the one thing a lot of people want to avoid in life which is thinking about their own mortality yes and well mortality but but before that vulnerability and I think vulnerability is something that we that we don't like to think about. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's at the, at the at the heart of this. And that's why we don't. That's why we, there are many reasons why we have the care system that we have in this country, because we just don't want to think about it. And so we go, I'm sure it'll be there when we need when I need it. And well, probably not. You know, and that's because, you know, it, it, it most of us only interact with it when someone we love needs to go into care and then we're like oh my god the system's terrible so you know whereas in japan for example they start preparing when they're about 30 they start thinking about it so just like you know you're encouraged to start a pension when you're 30 people will start thinking what kind of care do i want how am i going to pay for it um and you know and that that blows my mind i mean that's so different isn't it yeah, I mean, that is, because I can see both sides on the one level being prepared, but on the other, that's almost kind of <laughs> wishing your life a negative you. suggestion. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I would say it's positive because you say you're saying this will be this will be OK, whereas we're just like not thinking about it. We won't take any suggestion. Well, we take a lot of negative suggestion from the media. We're, we're constantly you know, getting negative messages negative suggestions that that it's going to be terrible yeah when you're old it's going to be a nightmare you're going to be you know somebody's going to be slapping you around the face every on an hourly basis and you'll be cold Do you know what i mean it's terrible what the, what we get from the media and of course the answer lies the truth lies somewhere in the middle but uh, but just coming back to the show there is mm -hmm. sort of there is a lot of um the hypnosis training and the writing i did and the study i did there's a lot of uh, using those techniques, sort of seducing the audience, um, you know, giving them positive suggestions. Um, and uh, it, so that I, we do, yeah, we do kind of take them on that a bit of a journey so that I can get to them, them to the point where hopefully they start to rebel and say no. And uh, so, yeah, my that study and that work has really influenced a lot of my subsequent theatre work. So, yeah, it's one of the things that I'm really very, very happy that I did, that I'm really proud that I did. So, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't go away. And it's delightful for me when the when the book has in, was people still um, get in contact with me about the book. And, you know, it's published in the States and people are always in touch from there. So, yeah, that's that's pleasing. Well, I mean, the book is absolutely bloody fantastic. It's entertaining. Uh, it's visually very easy to read. Uh, by that I mean people. There's loads of great uh, images, 
historical images in there that to, to bring to life the, the words on the page. And it, it, it's without a doubt the most entertaining uh, history book on hypnosis, suggestion, call it what you will, that I've ever read. Oh. Um, well, it's it was so published by the British Library. I think it's fair to say they didn't really know what they what they had <laughs> and um you know they the british library publish you know reissues of a lot of things that have fallen out of print and they're very very good at, at that i think they were a little bit like we don't really know who's going to buy this book but you know so it's there it plods along people buy it which is which is nice so please go and buy it um but yes what a th- what how um what an honor really to have the whole of the british library archive to go through and to all of that stuff. So, I mean, I would open, I talk about it a lot, but um, in the book, but there are lots of little pamphlets, you know, that, that hypnotists would would write and self-publish and sell after their shows, which sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You know, yeah. um, uh, we're talking about, you know, in the, in the Victorian period, the Edwardian period, and these little pamphlets are there in the British Library. And, and you absolutely get the feeling that nobody's opened these for 70 years. So they they come from the depths of the you know uh, uh, of the archive, and there's something really exciting about that, and the fact that they weren't really made to to last in a way, they were they were sort of they were product, they were merch, you know they were merch after a gig, and um, and they have lasted and they have survived, and there's something thrilling about that, and they've got great illustrations, so yeah, all of that was very exciting. What I find funny because I I have bought over the years you know books on mesmerism suggestive therapeutics as it also used to be called uh and pamphlets and stuff and it's amazing if people actually bother to to look into the old stuff how other than people repackaging stuff with different names they can justify charging for courses the truth is there's not really anything new no it's all in those books from the 1800s the pamphlets it's there yeah, absolutely. And I talk about that in the book um, towards the end where I'm like saying really nothing's changed for a very long time. And, and both, you know, really in um, therapy and in, 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 in the showbiz. And I think soon it will. And uh, I, well, I hope I hope it will. Maybe we'll just call it by a new name. But, you know, I, I really hope that there's a, a new generation come through and take those techniques and don't get um bound up and hysterical about the 1952 stage hypnotism act and just like go i'm going to use these techniques and i'm going to rebrand it and i'm going to do this and and people will respond and um audiences will be like we don't know what we're doing we don't know how why we feel this and i don't know maybe it'll be like collective euphoria or you know i don't know like rave culture in 1990 or something i don't know what it will be because uh, obviously I haven't managed to reinvent it to that d- degree, but I think soon there will be, or there should be a, ch- a change. It's, it's it's ripe for changing, and just like you know, it went from being mesmerism to to hypnotism um, because somebody decided let's call it a different thing, let's yeah. rework it, let's let let's change the technique slightly and, and rebrand it. Then I think that will it's ripe for reinvention, and that's really exciting. Mm. And just one. It would be it would be good if it did. I just I don't know. <laughs> when you look at the history, the fact that it hasn't changed in so long, mm. um, it's kind of. Whereas you, yeah, I, I really don't know. What, but I, what I what I do know is that its heyday, as such, was kind of musical era, which is something that I noticed from. Uh, some, some one of the characters you do, uh, Master Fred Barnes, and so, you seem to be kind of quite enamoured by the music hall era. Yeah, so I'm a bit of an expert on the music hall, and actually, uh, um, oh gosh, three years ago now, I did an, I curated an exhibition at the British Library on oh. 19th century popular entertainment that was called There Will Be Fun, and. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love the music hall. I think there's so many similarities with popular entertainment now, and there's so much to learn. And 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 I think some so many people just know the cliches about the music hall. You know, they, they you know might have heard of of Mary Lloyd. Maybe you know they will 
oh, very, very few things. And it's such a shame because, you know, there are people that alive that remember the tail end, you know, the, as musical was becoming variety. Well, they really remember variety, but, you know, we should really celebrate those, those memories before those people are gone. Um, but yeah, absolutely love musical. And I think there's so much still to learn from those those performers and the, the you know Dan Lino so much to learn from 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 him from yeah so many people and I'm still you know very regularly performing as Ida Barr who was a real musical singer mm -hmm. uh, she died in uh, 1967 and I just decided to resurrect her and just behave what would happen if she hadn't died and um and that really oh, I didn't realize that about some videos of you doing the character I didn't realize it's actually bringing so, you back to life somebody who was genuinely yeah, she was a middle-ranking wow. um, uh, musical singer. She was, um, yeah, she died in the 60s. She was um, she was the ragtime girl, original ragtime girl. And so her big songs, which most people will still remember, are Oh, You Beautiful Doll, Oh, You Beautiful Doll, You Great Big Beautiful Doll, and um, Everybody's Doing It. Everybody's doing it, doing it. Those were her hits. So she was yeah. well known, you know, to kind of, um, like my grandmother had heard of her, you know, that kind of thing. But not, she wasn't Mary Lloyd. She wasn't mm -hmm. you know, really famous. And um, yeah, I just behaved. What would happen if she hadn't died and was living in the East End and started doing hip hop? <laughs> that was the thought. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, it's a good, you know, it's a good comic reversal, and it led to some some beautiful moments in my career. For example, so you remember Anita Harris, who you yes. know, so Anita Harris, her uncle was Gus Harris, who was a performer, a music, musical variety performer, who was married to Ida Barr for a while. Oh. And when I first met Anita Harris, she followed me down the corridor and she went, Auntie Ida. And um, well, now whenever I see her, she 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 goes, Auntie Ida, I love it, you know. And I'm like, I never in my life, when I was a child watching Carry On films, thought that Anita Harris would call me Auntie. So, yeah. you know, there's the beauty of life. <laughs> Anyone watching this who's in the country may not instantly know these names. If you just tap them into Google, um, Google or better still YouTube, you'll you'll see who these people are, and uh, and uh, it's well worth doing that. So. Two things, the overlap between acting and comedy. So I'm going to split it and let's step, I'm going to make myself just a note here, acting, comedy. So we'll start with acting first. Mm. Acting, and I'm going to throw in an example for people at home. There's a, there's a, there's a mode of acting called, Stavins I can never say, it's Stavinsky's method acting. Mm -hmm. uh, where the, the, the tag is don't act, be. And the idea is that you actually kind of almost anchor, as you therapists would know, different emotions uh, of stuff that's genuinely happened to you in life so that when you're learning the script, you mark out what emotion the character's supposed to have or their motivation, lovey darling, and you then anchor a real genuine emotion that you felt that's relevant for that to learning the script so that when you... Uh, acting it it's arguable that you're not acting you're being in that state as nlp might call it you you've anchored a state and there's stories around of people swear by this but then there's people who have psychological breakdowns because they're taking on and, and dragging dragging up really traumatic stuff which leads me to the question of acting wise do you ever have you ever had issues with you know where does does the line ever get blurred? Hmm. I think um, I, I think my big breakthrough and the reason why I loved um, hypnosis so much and went so deep in my study of hypnosis was the thing that I talk about in the book a lot, which is just that that uh, invitation to say, how would it be if that hypnosis was just a kind of somebody saying to you, how would it be if you weren't afraid of dogs? How would it be if? Um, you were happy about this? How would it be if you could um, make a speech in public? And um, and it, that be, that very simple kind of 
distillation of what of what it seemed to me and many people might not agree but what it seemed to me hypnosis was about seemed really powerful to me and then I realized that actually I think I've always done that in terms of performance so I've always just gone how would it be if I was a very successful female country music singer and I think that's as complicated as I make it in my head so I'm not trying to be something I'm not I'm just saying how would it be if I was an impossibly old um, variety artist living in the East End Mm -hmm. and I would I would I still using a lot of myself but I'm just bringing this this other invitation to 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 the to the game if you like to the play Mm -hmm. Um, and that seems seems to really challenge a lot of acting <laughs> acting experts or you know theatre directors or whatever. But that's how I perform. That's how I direct, which I do a lot now. Uh, I get I get actors to to you know create characters um, and bring themselves to the scripts that I've written. Um, so all of that is answering your question. But for me, I have never. I have never kind of got to a sort of danger point in a way or, or it's become too blurred because I think a lot of, a lot of it is me, but it, it at the same time isn't because because um, it, it, I'm because I'm not a female country music singer. So but, you know, does, do, do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not I'm not getting I'm not saying I don't exist anymore. I'm going to be something other than me. I'm just bringing myself to that invitation. Um, and well, I don't know, it worked for me. Um, but that is why I got so excited about hypnosis, I think, because I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I can help other people do it. Um, when I've done um, hypnotherapy with people, they like go, oh, you make it really simple. And I go, yeah, just just pretend that you're not afraid of dogs. <laughs> you know, just do that, you know. And they go, oh, OK. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I can do that. Of course, I do it a bit more complicatedly than that. But but effectively, that is what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that is, for, for therapists watching this, just literally saying to somebody to pretend something, what would it be like if, well, in NLP, they, 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 they have to give things fancy names, don't they, to justify the prices of courses and self-importance. But that could be like um, state elicitation. What would, um, you know... What would it feel like if your outcome, well-formed outcome, bollocks to the fancy language, is effectively what would it be like if? Yeah. Um, that's why I distilled it down to how would it be if. And I think I had never really, re- it took me a while to realise that that's what I do in theatre, in performance, and that's also what you can do in real life. And that's what we do all the time, you know, like just, you know, you're invited to a part to a party, you're invited to the opening of something and you like you're just about to go through the door and you think I literally would rather do anything else than walk into this room full of people. I will, you know, I, I just want to throw myself in front of traffic rather than go in and be that person. And then you go, on the other hand, this is what I'm going to do. So you take a deep breath and then you go in and you how would it be if you were good at this? You know, that's what I say. How would it be if you were very relaxed in this environment? So I go in and do that. Um, And that's exactly what I do when I go on stage. How would it be if you were the executive manager of a care home chain? That's Mm -hmm. what I do in the the home. And um, yeah, and because because the home is a 48 hour durational show and I'm in in a lot of it, (laughs) I made my character quite like me because I'm a bit lazy. (laughs) So. I don't want I don't want to be putting on a complicated accent and, and a complicated costume. So I made him quite like me Excellent. Uh, with one essential difference. How would it be if, if I ran a care home chain? So, yeah. OK, so I think that kind of gives the answer for acting. Now, comedy. Mm-hmm. I think for I, I think if people at home pay attention to what you've been saying and really think about it, there's a lot of lessons for not just stage hypnotists, but hypnotherapists as well. Because I believe that hypnotherapists do the same thing as a stage hypnotist, really. It's just their audience may just be one person rather than lots of people. You are doing a kind of performance, an important seeming ritual. But comedy, there's a lot of psychology in comedy, isn't there? Mm -hmm. 
that I think is relevant. Like, you know, certain in NLP, the, the example I mean is in NLP, they talk about anchoring reactions and states or spatial anchoring. So a speaker may go to one point of the stage when they're talking about all negative things. And then another area of the stage when they're talking about all positive or funny things. And then in the middle when it's neutral, so that then once they've got those anchors in place, they can tell a joke or a story. And when it's punchline time, if they move to the area of the stage that the audience has set up anchored to laughter or feel good, it's more likely to get the response. Mm-hmm. In that kind of ilk, um, what's your experiences of comedy? Because I think comedy is hypnosis. It's kind of... Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that the comedy circuit in many uh, countries is very codified um, and in a sense is exactly what you're talking about. So you go into um, a a comedy club and we know what that looks like now and we know what the audience is expected to do and we know what the the comedian is going to do uh, by and large and they will stand on a stage even if it's only that much higher than the rest of the room and they will have a mic and they will start with um, a a sort of um, a formula something like have you ever noticed or isn't it irritating when or are you like me you know these little kind of things and people go ah I know what this is this is comedy and so then they laugh you know at the end of the of the humorous remark and often they're very funny thoughts and comments and and jokes um and but sometimes I think it's just it's your friend probably says exactly the same thing to you on the bus but you don't laugh in the same way because because you're not in the in the in the context so there is a lot of contextualization of of comedy and I really like uh playing with that (laughs) and so sometimes I will deliberately um mess about with timing so my my characters I think it's just the way my brain works so my characters Ida is a good example so I you know was still performing comedy clubs as Ida and I will just slow the timing right down <laughs> and lose the energy because she's old <sighs> and then go oh don't lose the lose keep the energy <sighs> and you know just play with all of these things to see whether I can still get a laugh mm-hmm. and uh Oh, you know, I mean, there's, there are lots of things which are NLP in a way. Like we all know that if, if you swear in a, in, a, in a sentence, then it will get a laugh, you know, because the rhythm works in a slightly different way. So, um, uh, yeah, there are many things about comedy. I love I love now having the confidence to take it away from those those contexts and just put it into something else and so again my performance in in the home just because you made raised that example mm-hmm. uh is actually a, a a comic performance you know it is it's it it's stand up a lot of the time because because my character does a lot of introducing and saying welcome to the saturday afternoon talent show hi you know and does you know so i will do a two minute little thing which is like a stand-up set but it's taken out of the context of a of a comedy club or or, or theatre and so people are a little bit like is he supposed to be funny um yeah which I love uh, like I'm gonna say messing with things tweaking them uh, being brave about things that's something that um it's very much I mean it does happen a little bit these days but it's something that happened more I, I do think in sort of musical variety era example i'll throw out um only because it's some because it's something i can relate to because my dad um is licensed by the family to do it is um a tribute is uh, max war right is he how exciting yeah yeah um funnily enough i was going when you started that sentence i was going to say a uh, little titch which yeah. of course you know Max Wall got you know got that got that from so yeah absolutely Lil Titch standing on enormous shoes and doing like ballet on big shoes and then doing you know doing a silly walk with sticking his ass out I mean that's that's you know that's that's brilliant and pushing it was ridiculous for the time and one thing Max especially did was most of his gags weren't funny yeah 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 but they were purposely not funny yeah and that's genius Um, I mean, that takes balls, and what you do takes balls to to, to go outside the accepted rules. And I think that's a lesson that people watching can learn from, that 
just because it's always been done a certain way doesn't necessarily mean it always has to be. Yeah, but and I think we, I think that's what I touched on earlier. I think we, we are long, long overdue a kind of uh, a rethinking of of stage hypnosis. And I like to think I've, met, you know, put my two pennies in in a small way. But mm. I think that the the people should really just be excited about it and keep pushing it and if you know I've said it I get asked to do kind of talks to drama schools and and um, performance art groups and all this kind of stuff and I'm always saying to them you know find study an old form of entertainment and reinvent it you know Mm -hmm. and and I will often say you know stage hypnotism it's ripe for for renewal I'm not going to do it anymore but you can but you can and I think, you know, I love it. There's, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a kind of something that we currently call hypnosis on Netflix, except it won't look like a stage hypnosis act. It will be something else. You see, I don't even know what that is, but it, mm. but, but somebody will work it out. Is it possible it's already happened? And because we don't recognise it, I know that's the... Maybe. I mean, you could say that... Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of music videos now are so thrilling to me. You know what's going on. You watch, I watched the Grammys the other day. A lot of what's going on with that visually and in terms of the the kind of empowerment thing that's happening. You know, you could say that that's a positive affirmation thing is a form of collective hypnosis. Maybe you know, maybe. And then the visuals are so strong and they're so kind of like everything's going on. Maybe that's a form of hypnosis. Maybe, yeah. Mm. I think hypnosis is all around us. It just comes down to what your definition. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's smart people out there would do well to sort of think about redefining it and owning it. Mm. Now, in terms of reinventing stage hypnosis, just let me tell the viewers this and see what you make of it. In the uh, sort of mid-90s, somebody came to me, a comedy DJ, who I knew, and he he played music in in the Yates' wine uh, bath circuit in the northwest of England, and then he had this comedy game show that he called the Golden Wheel of Destiny, uh, which interestingly bears an amazing resemblance to Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer's um, BBC Two comedy yeah, shooting, stars. shooting Stars, yeah, which didn't come out until after the production company had spoken to the guy who did the Mickey Love character that I'm about to talk about. Strange coincidence. Um, but that aside, he came to me and said, look, I want to take, he said, I want to do a, a, a comedy piss take stage hypnotist character. So it's Mickey Love, same name that he was using for that. But I want to do hypnotism and literally just get people up and it'll either die and crash or they'll just play along because they know it's ridiculously farcically taking the piss. And the trouble was, even though he wore the gold lame jacket, the most ridiculous over-the-top sort of 1970s, 80s, summer season Blackpool outfit, he had the cheesy music and everything about it screamed, God, this is outdated comedy stage hypnosis. And the way he was speaking was so obviously taking the piss. The trouble was, people went under for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And... Genuinely, afterwards, I'm going like, oh, I can't, I can't remember you having told me to do that, or I, or I did re- do remember, but I couldn't stop myself. I felt overwhelmed to do it, and it's like he it was going, what the hell's gone on? Yeah. I mean, what do you make of that? Um, well, that's very much my experience of my, you know, my first outing as a stage hypnotist. You know, where I was really, you know, absolutely doing. You know, I had to change. You know, my name Baz Vegas. I had to change the name um, because. <laughs> Um, um, uh, I had to change the name for legal reasons. I don't know what the fuss was about. The kid, he didn't die. So here we go. Um, you know, so it was that kind of routine. And and like I say, I wasn't interested in being that high status prat idiot, really. But um, but yeah, it would work. It just worked. And so I would get people to do really stupid, demeaning things because I thought they would tell me to get lost, but they didn't. They just did the stupid demeaning things. So I had to kind of, after a few outings of that, I had to just throw it all out because I was like, this is not what I want to do. And I certainly, you know, because they were, they were, they were doing this, the stupid stuff. They were doing these sort of like, you know, do a Mooney, you know, they were doing all that. And I'm like, okay, I'm not really, com- this is not where I thought my career would be going. <laughs> 
Excellent. But I will say that, you know, again, that relates a lot to my kind of more, uh, um, you know, innovative theatrical work. So the, the piece um, that got me a lot of attention a couple of years ago is about uh, a self-help group for people um, who, who are porn, addi- porn addicts. Um, uh, Prurians. Prurians, yes. And so Prurians was in, in London and in, in New York. And we... Um, so you you go to a self-help group and it's all very stripped down and you don't know who's an actor and who's just a fellow audience member and everyone's sharing and it, it and I'm the group leader and you know again you got to, there's got to be lots of safeguarding lots of things happen so did you actually end up with people who are porn addicts there yes and lots of people sharing and oversharing and okay. that's really that's really really interesting and yet they they had to understand the context that they were doing it in uh so what was my point my point is that you know you can encourage people to do something and i think i used the same skills that i did for baz vegas to get people to do mooney to i used the same skills to do in prurians to get people to share but i would i owned it much more and i there was a purpose and i understood what i was asking them to do do you think the with prurience, uh because deep down they would know that it wasn't a genuine group self-help session that potentially that made them feel safer about sharing because some people have this mental block about if I went to a real therapist then I'm admitting that I've got an issue absolutely and so again it does relate to hypnosis like exactly as you were saying people report don't they we've we've all experienced it people report oh i don't know what i was doing um you know i i i kind of didn't want to do it but then i felt that i that i ought to and you know all those kind of things that people report and this exactly the same thing and i think the theatrical um context is exactly the same as the hypnotic context and it just provides yeah a safe space in which to play and that's yeah people will people came out and went wow i never thought i'd do that but you know and so yeah they did and they and of course the p well i say of course but the piece was was not really about pornography addiction it was about therapy it was about asking for help where are safe places to ask for help and all and all of that so it was a much wider point than just porn addiction but yeah people did come people did explore things people interestingly came and uh, acted and um, they would come back we had lots of lots of repeat visitors of people coming back and role-playing so Mm -hmm. you know all of that is just like people go back to hypnosis shows don't they and then be the first to volunteer and like I'll do it I'll do it you know so it was um, there are lots of crossovers yeah, but some people watching no doubt thinking some of this sounds a bit batshit crazy. Let me tell you, you know, until um, until the end of 2018, I frankly would have been of the camp saying this sounds really batshit crazy. What sort of I, my eyes were open to the overlaps between hypnosis and performance art and, and all this when uh a swedish uh artist andrea c jigson performance artist contacted me and said he wanted a hypnotist english-speaking hypnotist to take part in this project called television without frontiers which we we filmed it um it's it's I'm looking at the poster on my wall. What, what's the tagline? Television Without Frontiers, a documentary performance in TV format. It's apparently four and a half hour episodes of a TV show, but that's exploring this Euricon, Television Without Frontiers directive that was supposed to make a worldwide TV station with interpreters. And and and, and during the filming of this, he was well, trying to put it together. He was told, you've more chance of making a turtle fly than getting that off the ground. So next thing you know, there's a giant inflatable turtle being inflated during each of these episodes till at the end, it's floating with helium around the TV studio. Well, after I've just hypnotised people to be aliens to talk and then interpret each other, and it gets so batshit crazy... In that regard, go on magicalguru.com, click on television without frontiers, explains it all. That while I was doing it, I thought, what the fucking hell have I got myself involved in here? But I'm here now and and they've already paid me. So I've got got to do this. But by the end of the few few days, 
I left there still none the wiser because it was filmed out of order. It was filmed on the day. So like a scene where a live goat, a rooster and a, what was it, a rooster, a goat and a hen, I think, were invaded in the studio for no apparent logical reason at the time because it was filmed out of order. When I finally saw the artist's vision at the end, edited together in the right order, it actually made sense in a weird way. And I could see that actually there was, there were relations to everyday life, people not understanding each other, having to try and find common ground and stuff. And that's when I started to look at other things more um, and think, you know, some stuff isn't as batshit crazy as it might first look or sound. There are underlying psychological principles there, like what you've been sharing with people. Yeah, good. good. I mean, I think I... I think we've we've got a lot to learn from different disciplines, obviously, and I'm really glad for my little detour or quite extensive detour into the world of hypnosis. And I think it gave me a lot. I think there were reasons, as you said, there were reasons why I was attracted to it, even if I didn't really understand them at the time. Um, but also, as as I say in in Overpowered, you know, a lot of it was personal. A lot of it was sort of you know, me sorting my head out a bit. And that, those those were very important. Um, those were very useful um, techniques for me, and I still use them uh, in, in my own life. Um, but I... So incidentally, if you were, uh, Chris does explain in the book. So there are... Te- Although there's history of hypnosis, interspersed every now and again, there is insights into techniques and things you can use. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, mainly on yourself, really. Mm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm very happy I went into that into that into that world. And um, but I and then I think it was important for me to come out of that world again and then and then expand it into into other parts of, of my work and my interests. And and I would really encourage people to do that. And um, so for people with a casual interest in hypnosis, you can you can use it in whatever way you want. You know, you can bring it to your practice as a, um, you know, in, in whatever, as a doctor or as a as a as a clown or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you don't have to. Uh, this is obvious really but you don't have to stay in that world you know you don't have to practice as a hypnotherapist in in the conventional way or as a stage hypnotist in the conventional way i think it's very applicable to lots of parts of life Um, which uh, just sort of jumped into my head then you know with hypnosis there's verbal suggestion and non-verbal and with comedy there's obviously there's verbal or situation but then there's the whole genre of mine and, 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 and silent comedy is that something you've ever played around with uh, not 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 really um because i'm primarily which is something we haven't mentioned really but although it's obvious with the singing hypnotist i'm pri- primarily a musician i think of myself as a musician and a singer yeah. and so um so a lot of my acts are just excuses to, to sing and to, to write songs and um, so not not really, although I am very, very interested in um, in silence and in action. And that's where uh, <laughs> um, now people are like, oh, really? So but some my current show that, that I'm that I'm working on at the moment, which starts in a, in a couple of weeks, is really about what happens when you do nothing. And um, what happens when you don't fulfill the contract and um, and there's lots of silence. And I did another I did another one man show, the Fred Barnes show that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in um, 2018. Um, and there was a whole sequence in there where we where every night I would just kind of manipulate the audience into saying, well, if this is true, then this is true, then this is true. This is then really the only thing we can do is sit and wait. 20 minutes in silence and so we would sit and wait in silence and it was and I am you know that's when I started to realize how hardcore I am as a performer because I can sit and and sit and and with 250 people and say we are going to be silent because we've decided that would that's what we're going to do and it didn't always last for the full 20 minutes but a couple of times it did and this new show is even more kind of deconstructive than that. So I'm interested in silence. I'm interested, and this is a brave thing for an entertainer to say, I'm interested in boredom. 
Um, I think boredom is a very rich state. And I think in the modern world, we're not bored enough um, because we just immediately get our phones and start asking about and, you know, distract ourselves. Yeah. And so, you know, great things happen <laughs> when you're mildly bored. I think children aren't bored enough and that's a worry, you know. So I'm interested in that and that's what the new shows are going to be about. So uh, it, it, that's not mime. But to answer your question, yeah, I'm interested in those non-verbal things, those those moments of where the pace changes, those moments where you, um, yeah, you play with silence. But, it's, but essentially, and again, this is hypnosis, that you've got to be strong enough to own that and you've got to signal with every fibre of your being that you know what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like as a hypnotist, as a as a therapist or as a performer you have to say yeah I know what I'm doing I've got this so uh, right now I know better than you so follow my suggestions and I think as the the performer doing that the kind of show I'm talking about you have to sort of signal with all of your body and your confidence and your demeanor that you know what you're doing and then and, and you've got this um, excellent yeah. now we're getting very close to the hour having disappeared, so we might run over ever so slightly because it leads me to one final question, and that is uh, you wonderfully segued into the fact that you're a musician, okay? And it's it, stunningly um, strange if you look over the history of stage hypnotists, there is a large number of them, certainly sort of since the 50s, who prior to becoming stage hypnotist were either DJs mm-hmm. or musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be purely coincidental, but I don't think it is. I think it's because hypnotic induction done well, it doesn't have to be, but if you're playing with people's expectations, has rhythm and candence, uh, ups and downs, there's a stereotypical, the deep you go. But all these things can play with belief systems. And I think uh, and hypno- uh, music and hypnosis, I think, are very aligned. Because um, obviously music can trigger off happy memories, sad memories. And do you think that's you, your musical background perhaps also is what led you into hypnosis, the crossovers? It's, I think for exactly those reasons that you say, I think it was very logical to me because um, I'm interested in therapy and I'm interested in music I think it was logical that I'd end up in hypnosis and that's why going back on what we said earlier it was a real surprise to me that there was no straightforward singing hypnotist you know that mm. hadn't been done quite in that in, in that way um, uh, but yes I think I think it is and I think if if there's one thing I would say to people interested in in hypnosis what it, whatever their practice is, therapeutic or stage or whatever, it's to not be ashamed of um, uh, of skills and to, there's nothing wrong in studying voice and there's nothing wrong with going to a singing teacher or a voice teacher. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do, if you're going to do it and do it well, then you shouldn't be ashamed of of saying, now I am the hypnotist and I'm going to use my voice in a yeah. very particular way. There's no shame in doing that well, you know. And uh, I've met people and I'm, I'm like, wow, okay, you know, you know, you you really sort of like hog the mic and they're like, oh yeah, because my voice is really, <laughs> my voice doesn't work very well or I don't know how to use my voice properly. It's like, go and, go and have four lessons. You know, why wouldn't you do that? And as a hypnotherapist, why wouldn't you do that? Learn how to use your your tool. You don't have to be a, um, a, a an RNC actor to want to use your voice in a in a musical or a or a um, skillful way. I, I could not agree with that advice more. And seriously, even if you're a hypnotherapist, uh, I believe that's relevant, not just for stage hypnotists. Now, as many viewers will know, I have a background in doing stage magic as well when I was young and. Um, Robert Houdin uh, famously said that magicians are merely actors playing the part of a magician. (laughs) And I believe that hypnotist, and it doesn't matter whether it's a stage hypnotist or hypnotherapist, I believe that hypnotist, stage or therapy are, if you're doing it well, merely 
arguably merely act as playing the part of what the client or audience expectations are. It's all, almost it's all about expectation. And I would say even more profound than that, if, you know, if you're looking to, in a very real sense, if you're looking to make a difference in someone's life, either through therapy or through performance, you know, all you're really doing is is inviting the the client or the audience to play the part of someone who's who's been who's been helped, and then they are that. You know, this is what we do in life. That's not fraudulent. We're mm. like saying, how would it be if you were just more relaxed about speaking in public? You know, and then they go, oh yeah, I'll pretend to be that person. And then you are. You know, we all pretend, we all trick ourselves, and then, and that is not fraudulent. That is that is at the heart of human experience, how we interact and how we how we present ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves. You know, I'm going to decide to be a happy person today. You know, that's a decision we make. So, yeah. Excellent. Very profound indeed. As I always say to viewers, uh, get a pad and a pen, watch this whole interview again and take notes because I promise you, I don't care if you're a hypnotherapist or a stage hypnotist or whatever title you give yourself, there is gold in the past 60 minutes. And I really would encourage you also to go and buy Overpowered, the science and showbiz of hypnosis, um, and to check out um, the all the characters that we've been speaking about. Go and visit Christopher's website, which is ChristopherGreen.net. The link will be below this video when it goes live. Um, how do people find you on social media and stuff? Yes, yeah, so all my social media is at kit underscore green so chaos. and that's where you'll see details of upcoming live performances and stuff i guess yeah 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 excellent thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute thank pleasure thank you very much nice chat take care people at home see you next week for another edition of hypnosis week <laughs>